other side at midnight with Frank Morano. This is the AC Report. The AC Report, even though we have broadened our scope to um, not only be airing all over the country, but uh, be discussing a wide variety of national issues related to the world of uh, casino gaming. And we do that because, um, you know, I I feel like um, people listening in Nevada or Baltimore or Arizona, you know, it's, it's like if we were to call it the Vegas Report. Nobody would question it. You get the idea of what it is. And for some reason, over the last 50 years, with Atlantic City legalizing casino gaming, it never really did become a Vegas of the East. It never really did become a um, a competitor, of an East Coast competitor to Las Vegas. And I think that's a shame uh, because it's certainly not not comparable in terms of size and grandeur to Las Vegas. There's a lot going for it. And I want to really tell Atlantic City's story to the whole country. You know, they had a sales meeting. And we'll bring in Michael Traeger in just a second. But they had a sales meeting at our radio station yesterday. And I think our owner, John Katsimatidi, said in the sales meeting, said, um, well, they should be sponsoring Frank's AC report segment. I got to tell you, that is the best idea that I've heard from anybody. I think every business in Atlantic City should be sponsoring this segment because it really is the best way to tell Atlantic City's story to the whole globe. I mean, look, we do tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly of what's happening there, but we also, we really do um, do more to promote Atlantic City businesses, especially small businesses there, than any other show, I think, in the whole country, including shows that air in Atlantic City. So uh, if you are an Atlantic City business that is listening to this show, email me. You should absolutely be sponsoring this show. Frank, uh, this segment, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Now, Michael Traeger is somebody that I have an incredible amount of respect and admiration for. He is a luxury travel and casino gaming industry entrepreneur. He writes and hosts a podcast for travelzork.com. And he's the go-to guy on travel and on casino gaming. When I travel, 
to a jurisdiction, and I have questions about casinos, he's the first person that I reach out to. So as uh, we look at what's happening in terms of Maryland casinos, I thought he might be somebody interesting to uh, reach out to in this instance. Michael, it is great to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on the show again. It's always a pleasure. Michael, let me begin um, by asking you, since this is the first time you've been on since we've added uh, WCBM in Baltimore to our growing network of affiliates, let me ask you about uh, National Harbor in Maryland. Uh, what is what is National Harbor in Maryland? Have you been there? What do they have to offer? I haven't personally been there, but it is a really, I mean, I hate to use the word sometimes iconic, but it really is a quite iconic MGM property. And it's it's really a flagship. It's a, it's a new build and it's a flagship property, very, very high end. And what's so interesting about it is it sort of completes this whole MGM collection of properties on on the East Coast because you've got National Harbor, they've taken over, MGM's taken over Borgata, and then you have MGM Springfield. So it's really, really interesting when you look at the big picture of what MGM's doing on the East Coast. Absolutely. And how, how old a property is it about? MGM National Harbor is i think you got me on that okay one. no i, I, I think it's not i i don't remember when what the opening date was but i think it's like about i think it's about seven years okay so it's relatively new it's not yeah uh, well gaming is re- relatively new in in maryland to to begin with so that's uh you know and that property was a really big deal because of its proximity to washington dc mm. so mgm national harbor actually opened in december of 2016 so we weren't too far off there okay no absolutely you mentioned uh encore boston harbor that's uh that's another mgm property no encore boston harbor is a win property oh a win property got it that's right win so win win las vegas uh, you know win resorts uh won the bid for the property in boston now what's interesting about massachusetts is massachusetts can only have it's by regions they can all because they didn't want the casinos necessarily competing with each other so you've got the springfield region where you have mgm springfield then you have plainville which is just a uh is just like a slots parlor. And then you have the Boston region, which win Las Vegas one. And I don't know if you saw the news recently, but win Las Vegas is the first bid for a casino in New York city. Really? I did see that. And uh, so what's the next step? What's the next step in that whole process? As far as you're aware, Uh, I, the process is just, started. Uh, It's basically the bid was by a company that is the developer of Hudson Yards. I think it's called the Related Companies. And they it was just the first public announcement of a bid for three new casino licenses open to city developers. So that's going to be very interesting if if Wynn actually opens a casino in New York City. And I think this is something we thought we might never see but it's really worked out quite, quite well in Boston. And Boston sort of beat New York City to having a casino in the city. And that's, that's sort of an interesting market because casinos never, most, most of the time, you never consider there being cas- casinos in major cities. But if you also look at Bally's, which is the same Bally's that's in Atlantic City, they're doing a huge development uh, in Bally's, Chicago. 
So really? they're going to have a casino in Chicago. So this whole landscape has changed, right? With all of these casinos in major metropolitan, you know, literally in the cities. You, you mentioned all these casinos. There is a concern that a lot of people have, especially people that are associated with the existing casinos, of casino saturation. How legitimate of a fear is that? Or is the existing gambling market going to cannibalize itself so that the casinos that are already in business can't stay in business? Well, that's always that's always been a concern. Look at Atlantic City, right? right. You've lost quite a few casinos in Atlantic City. And, you know, one of the major criticisms of Atlantic City for so many years is they didn't pay enough attention to you know, to the competition, you know, when Atlantic City was the only game in town, right, until the early 1990s, when you all of a sudden, you know, this Foxwoods opened up, and pretty much so Atlantic City conceded the Boston market to Foxwoods and Mohegan and said, ah, we're not so worried about that. But they should have, like, in their mind, really thought, like, what's going to come next? And then eventually, you have Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, and that's, you know, and especially Pennsylvania, which is, you know, last time I checked, Pennsylvania is the second largest gaming jurisdiction, you know, the most volume in the in the country. So that's really taken, you know, that's really taken a toll on, on Atlantic City. But a part of that is Atlantic City's fault for not staying oh, yeah. ahead of the game well, when, when those was, things are on the horizon. That was one of the big criticisms of Donald Trump that I've heard from people in Trump world, people that worked uh, for, you know, Trump's casino uh, company is he did, he wasn't willing to invest and upgrade at a time when they were in a position to do so. And then when he was willing to, then I've heard that it was too it was too late to do that. They were not in a position to to do that. Have you have you uh, and that was one of the factors that led to, you know, his partners kind of pushing him out of the casino business. Have you heard that same thing? Yes. I mean, the investment, I mean, what's so, what's so interesting about Atlantic City is there were so many missteps, missteps with regard to paying attention to the competition, missteps with regard to reinvestment. When you think about it, I mean, the predictions for Atlantic City, and it was so interesting when you said this at the beginning of the show, you know, the predictions about Atlantic City were huge. There was a a very famous blackjack player called Ken Ustin. I think that's how you pronounce his name, who had written about Atlantic City right after resorts opened. And, you know, he was predicting like, this is going to be the new Las Vegas. Mm. And I actually pulled up the quote from his, you know, from his book. And, and the end of this, this one quote says, although open only for a few months, the beach and the swimming, augmented by the festive atmosphere of the boardwalk, offer the tourist far more than the Vegas Strip. And he was saying, I think very few people understand the explosion that will take place or the way that AC is going to look by 1985 as casino after casino opens along the boardwalk. I expect that quality shops and restaurants such as Gucci's, Tiffany's, Saks Fifth <laughs> Avenue and so on will also open. And this is right after resorts opened in 1979. And this is before Caesars open, you know, Caesars and Bally's, uh, Caesars and Bally's open. So it's so interesting uh you know the per the perspective of somebody who was one of the best blackjack players in the world and a real big casino person you know was saying wow this atlantic city i mean this has got 
this has got Vegas beat once it develops, and yet it never really happened. Well, it is funny to go back and read and read some of those quotes. We're talking with uh, Michael Traeger. You can read and listen to some of his work at TravelZork.com. All right, let's talk about what's happening in Atlantic City. Aside from uh, the gambling aspect of things, I think the thing that probably gets the most attention is uh, dining and nightlife. Um, one of the best restaurants, as far as I'm concerned, in Atlantic City is the Old Homestead at Borgata. I think Old Homestead in uh, Atlantic City at the Borgata is actually better. I, I know this is sacrilege to say, but I think it's actually better than the original in, in Manhattan. What's going on with the Old Homestead? Well, Old, old Homestead has not truly been renovated since the opening of Borgata, as far as I can recall. So they're doing a pretty major, you know, revamping or renovation of the space. And they're going to reopen by the end of the year. And they have a pop-up version of the restaurant right now. But basically, it's going to be a, a complete revamp, which is really exciting because, like you said, it's a really popular brand. The, the only thing that I'll interject is that my favorite steakhouse in Atlantic City is Vic and Anthony's at Golden Nugget. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved Vic and Anthony's at, all, at Golden Nugget. So that's, that's going to be really interesting at uh, Borgata. Also, just... Today or yesterday, the official opening of Hell's Kitchen at Caesars Atlantic City happened. So now, that's, that's a Gordon that, Ramsay property, right? That's a Gordon Ramsay restaurant. restaurant right. right. And, it's, and it's the Hell's Kitchen. And remember, Caesars is going real heavy on, on Gordon Ramsay uh, restaurants. Actually, what's really sad, and I'm sure you you might have mentioned it before or it came up on the story that Nero's at Caesars just recently closed and a lot of those employees are going to, you know, Hell's Gordon Kitchen. Ramsay oh, uh, restaurant. That's interesting. I no, I hadn't seen that. Um, I did see that at the Trop, Hash House A Go Go is now open. Now I've been to Hash House A Go Go in Las Vegas. Some of the best breakfast in Las Vegas. I think that's going to do well out there. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, breakfast breakfast places are great. I mean, that's one of my slight pet peeves about casinos lately and the COVID did not help with this is that one of the most wonderful things about casinos is that you always had 24 hour dining, right? In every single casino, you had 24 hour room service and 24 hour dining. And it absolutely drives me crazy that, you know, dining has been scaled. There isn't anywhere near as much 24 hour dining. You have 20, you still have 24 hour gambling, right? But you don't have 24 hour dining in most instances. Why did that, why did that change? I would have thought that, uh, that was a very popular feature to keep people gambling for 24 hours. I think it's it's just been been cost cost containment or cost cost cutting. I think part of it also has to do with with labor and management, you know, of the of the properties. I mean, you still have a couple of 24 hours. I mean, bread and butter at at Borgata sure. still 24 hours, but there was a time when Metropolitan was 24 hours and they had that great uh, restaurant at Bally's uh, six that was 24 hours. But to me, I guess I always have, I always love that like quintessential 24 hour coffee shop where you could go and get breakfast all day long or, you know, no matter what, you just had a, you had a menu that was available all day. You know, I, I actually didn't realize that Metropolitan at the Borgata was no longer 24 hours. When did that happen? This is quite a few years now. 
I, it's really disappointing. Bread and butter, yeah. you know, bread and butter is good, but it's still, you know, I don't, my personal opinion is if I've been gambling all night and I want to go get a bite to eat before I go to bed and it's 4.30 in the morning, I like want to sit down at a proper table. I love having like some level of service. Somebody brings you a cup of coffee and you just sort of relax. Absolutely. As opposed to like the bread and butter kind of thing. Yeah, it's like a it's cafeteria more... almost. Exactly. Uh, right. And... No, I'm with you on that. There's something very satisfying after losing a thousand dollars at blackjack to at least have somebody bring you an omelet, right? I mean, it does seem uh, like you're getting something. No, a comp, but it's going to be a comp omelet. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> or, or a thousand dollar omelet. That's that's right. Hey, um, I on the um, on the unfortunate note with the respect to the Atlantic City dining scene, apparently the Piccadilly Pub, the Piccadilly Pub, a legendary Atlantic City institution, which is known for among other things its wings. They are closing after 30 years of business. What's going on? How can the Piccadilly close? Times times change. I mean, this is, you know, this this is so hard for me when I see that kind of thing. This this goes back, you know, so when you look at Piccadilly and you think about those 30 years, I also think about something like Nero's at Caesars, which was open for over 20 years with many of the same employees. And it's just it's so sad to see to see some of the like institutions uh close i mean and i don't you know i guess that's sort of where we're we're going not that i have anything against uh you know the whole gordon ramsay franchise or any of the any of the big kind of big name restaurants but i just loved all of the the smaller you know just the more intimate kind of owned restaurants by people that had their own personality that you could only go to that restaurant. Absolutely. And I think, and I think that's something that's really, cha- you know, really starting to change. And a Nero's is to me a really big deal at Caesars uh, closing because those oh, kind of restaurants that were known for the property. And they also used to have a great Italian restaurant at Caesars called Primavera, you know, and that, that closed a few years ago. So that's, that's sort of sad. I mean, at least, I mean, at least at this point, you still have you still have old homestead at at Borgata, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, uh, no, absolutely. But I mean, things just things just keep changing that way, and I just don't. I don't think there's any. I don't think, unfortunately, there's any way to there's any way to stop it. The last time you were on the show, and we're talking with uh, Michael Traeger, TravelsWork.com. The last time you were on the show, uh, we talked a little bit about craps, and I received a an email from our mutual friend Ed. On um, he said that my betting method at craps, is, I'm shortchanging myself in terms of craps ah my craps comps, and I'm not doing the right thing in terms of craps comps. Now, if I'm going to play craps, what's the best way for me to maximize my comps? Well, the thing with craps, which is really tough, is that the, your best bet at the craps table is the free odds, the odds bets behind your line bet. The problem with that bet is that you do not get rated on the odds bet. So you're putting a decent amount of money out, backing up on the odds, which is the best bet, but you're not getting rated mm-hmm. on it. So mm-hmm. I think a little bit of what Ed was saying, and I advocate the same thing, is that Going heavy on the six and the eight, which are very low house edge bets as place bets, 
can be advantageous because the six, let's just six and eight are great numbers, right? They're the numbers most likely to be, to be rolled except for the evil number, Mm -hmm. uh, which we don't speak of. Mm -hmm. And, and that's like a 1.4% house edge. So it's a low house edge. And so you're giving up, you're giving up a percent from what you would have if you were doing free odds, let's say, but all of that bet is going to be rated by the casino. So that makes a very big deal. So if you had, you know, $10 on the line and it was five times odds and you had $50 behind, that isn't being rated as a $60 bet. That's being rated as a $10 bet. Whereas if you had a $30 six and a $30 eight, that's being rated as I get a it. $60 I get bet. It. So it, it sounds like uh, with that in mind, if I'm going to Atlantic City, a place that I might go to every month, or whether we're talking the, um, you know, the National Harbor in Maryland or the Encore Boston Harbor, and if it's a place that you go to regularly, you're better off playing for the comps by placing place bets. But if you're doing a trip to Las Vegas and you or and you're playing at a casino that you're not going to come back to again for another five years, the better strategy is to do the um, the pass line bet with full odds or the the come bet with full odds. Is yes, that fair? absolutely. Yeah, okay. You know those are, those are the best. But also remember now, which we've we've mentioned before, what's so interesting, especially when you're playing at properties, if you consolidate your play, remember you've got this great loyalty program, MGM Rewards, and that's connected with Harbor. Borgata mm-hmm. and all of the MGM properties in Vegas, like, you know, Bellagio. So, you know, from my play at Borgata, I get free rooms at Harbor. I get rooms at Vegas. So a lot of times you might start to think strategically, you know, am I going to be loyal? You know, if I like all of these MGM properties and I like getting sure. marketing offers, you know, so that's something to keep in mind too. So even though you think that you only go to Vegas once a year, yeah, but your play at Bellagio can actually impact offers that you'll get in Atlantic City or at MGM Harbor. You know, you referred me to a podcast that I'm going to check out. I haven't heard it yet, the Crap Craps Vegas podcast with these fellows, Josh and Chris. You write that they play craps 10 hours per day. My question, I would love to play craps 10 hours per day if I had the time, but even if I had the time, how does anyone afford to play craps 10 hours a day? They are pretty disciplined. They also have a bankroll, which is related to what their average bet is so that they can withstand the variance and the highs and lows. But these guys, I have never met guys and I've played with them before who, you know, really love to play crap so much. And we have this coffee dice thing, which I think I'm the first one who instituted the name coffee dice. And we literally wake up at you know, seven o'clock in the morning, grab our coffees and open up a dice table together. And it is so much fun uh, in, in Las Vegas. And I'm trying my best to get them to come out to Atlantic City because I think it would be a blast. But I have never seen guys who can play dice I'll as long say, as they can. Uh, it is, and they love, they will talk craps every minute of the day that's great that, I love the it. craft gonna... vegas podcast you will get such a kick uh, out yeah of it. i just it's... subscribed i just subscribed i'm gonna check it out hey, um, it's, the, it's great the, let me ask you the game that i enjoy well not enjoy but the game that i end up playing the most other than craps when i'm in a casino is baccarat now most of the casinos they have 
mini Baccarat tables. Most of them have a commission, meaning you have to pay the casino a little bit of a vig if you uh, place a bet on the banker and the banker wins. Um, Sometimes you'll get lucky and find a no-commission Baccarat table. You don't really see, at least I don't, in Atlantic City, any of the old-school Baccarat tables like you might have seen in the old James Bond movies, like Casino Royale or things of that nature. Why is that? Where are those old Baccarat tables from the James Bond movies? You, you know, part of it is the style of play has has changed. Also, one thing to remember when you talk about the no-commission Baccarat and the commission Baccarat, Really, the the commission just equalizes uh, the bank and the player. So the house edge is the same. So the no commission, there's a rule change to it. But basically, it's not the no commission isn't necessarily a isn't is really not a better game. The rules are just different. So you should never worry about playing the commission baccarat versus the no commission baccarat. But when you get to you know, there used to be a big baccarat table, and what was amazing about baccarat and Borgata was the last casino in Atlantic City to have this, is that the players actually dealt the cards. So you had a table with three dealers and the shoe would move around the table. And as long as you kept, you know, doing banker hands, as long as you kept doing banker hands, you kept the shoe and kept dealing the cards. And obviously the high player hand would deal. So it was not only that you were facing the cards, but you were also dealing the cards. And part of the reason why that's disappeared and they had a great game also at Bally's too. At Bally's actually even had a 25, they had a $25 uh, big Baccarat table. But part of the reason why that's disappeared is it had so many dealers and the game is slow. And a lot of Asian players don't like dealing the cards. They like facing the cards, but they don't like dealing the cards. Now I always like- Is that a superstition thing? Is that a germ thing? What's that about? I think it's just because it's too slow. I see. You know, because you you have to pull out of the shoe, card for the player, card for the banker, you tuck it under the shoe, card for the player, card for the banker, then the player has to face their cards and you face yours, then you have to, if there's a draw, you have to draw the card. And it's just slower than, if you think about it, like, you can deal the cards as slow, you're going to deal cards much more slowly than dealers are. But I always thought it was great because when you had a banker run, you actually have the shoe and you're the one that's like totally controlling, like all the dealing of the cards, all the facing of the cards. And I just thought, it yeah, was that, really that's exciting. what's so cool about Baccarat in the movies. When you see those James Bond movies, you see, uh, uh, you know, an old school player, you know, doing that. Uh, but uh, it's certainly it's certainly interesting to see. And uh, we've been talking with Michael Traeger. He's with the uh, TravelZork.com podcast. Well, well, not just the podcast, but the website, which includes a podcast. What's going on over at TravelZork, Mike? What what can people uh, learn if they visit uh, TravelZork.com? Well, a big part of what I do, sort of, quote, my day job, is luxury travel advising. So we have, we have TravelZork Travel, and a lot of – I like to talk to people about – vacations, especially casino vacations, love to suggest places like going to Bahamar in the Bahamas. But another thing that we talk about, we talk about casino loyalty, like we're talking about MGM rewards, but we also talk about travel loyalty a lot and how to use your frequent flyer points and how to, when you should use your hotel points. And I think it's one of those subject areas that people find extremely confusing, but extremely interesting. So that's something Mm -hmm. that we love to talk about a lot. And I know you 
you have some loyalty, right? Like to Hilton with points. And I, you know, I, I feel like I sign up for all these programs and never end up using the points. I'm the worst with this kind of thing. I, I have to pick a day where uh, I just see, check in on all this stuff. My frequent flyers, my this, my that. Uh, I always, I never leave home without my, uh, my casino comp card, though. That's for sure. Michael, um, I have to run. It is always, it is a treat to talk with you. I'll look forward to our next engagement. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me on. My pleasure. This is uh, The Other Side of Midnight. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation? If you have questions as well, you're welcome to call 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Midnight.